everyone, Alana here from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I will be your host for today. Welcome back to another episode of The Divine Lantern. We are so glad that you could tune in and hope that you take away lots of great learnings. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Father John Deha on divine love, which I'm looking forward to learning about. This will be followed by a Did You Know segment, and we'll finish up with a reading from Wounded by Love, a book by Elder Porfirios. Father John, I'll now hand it over to you. The Gospel according to St. Luke. Let us attend. The Lord said this parable. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for all is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I go out and see it. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go to examine them. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported this to his master. Then the householder in anger said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and maimed and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet, for many are called, but few are chosen. I'm looking forward to this Christmas. My family, like many of yours, are going to gather without the worry of the restrictions that have been imposed for the last couple of years. God willing, the extended family will gather together, will celebrate Christ is born, We'll share gifts, and we're going to look forward to the Christmas lunch after the fast. I'm blessed, immeasurably, to have my mum, my seven siblings, my sibling-in-laws, my beloved nieces and nephews. Most years we take our roles. The hard-working chefs have slaved over the meal with love. The designated chair and table handlers have laid out the outdoor setting with love. The chanters of our family are ready to pray. Your nativity, O Christ our God, has shined the light of knowledge upon the world, of course, with love. And we're ready to go, to start our meal. But wait, half the seats are empty. I hear one saying, I'm just finishing the salad. I'm just wrapping a gift, says another. I'm putting the baby to sleep, I hear from the house. Where did she drive off to, someone calls out. Where is she, I say as I walk into the house. Why is Abuna John walking in the house, they cry. Ugh, exclaims another. Why can't we just be a normal family? But eventually, we gather ourselves. Like others, the Christmas banquet at our household is one of hangry sorrow. But of course there's joy. And all of this is an expression of love. But this earthly Christmas banquet, with all its joy, it pales in comparison to the great banquet that Christ speaks of in Luke's Gospel. 
Chapter 14 of St. Luke serves as a how-to guide on hospitality. If we follow these simple rules in our day-to-day lives, we would be transformed. He advises at parties and banquets, one, don't seek the place of honor or attention. Take the lowest place. Don't just invite your family and friends, but invite those who need a meal and company. Don't expect anything in return. Don't ask for praise. Don't ask for money. Don't ask for an invitation in return. And in the same chapter, he says that just as salt seasons, we should also, as salt, sprinkle mercy and the love of God. If we did all these things, if we apply just this practical wisdom, we can transform every function and every part of our life into one of joy and happiness. But our God, who is most humble, was not just talking about food and parties. He was instead instructing us in agape, that is, divine and perfect love. St. Clement of Alexandria says on this, an agape is in reality heavenly food, a banquet of the word. So for this episode, I'd like to explore the idea of divine love with you. To understand this, Luke starts the gospel reading by telling us of a man sitting at the meal table with Jesus, listening to his teachings. He said, To him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Wise words. But St. Cyril of Alexandria says that most likely he only understood the bread of God as something earthly. So to help him and to help us understand the heavenly meaning, Christ gave us a parable of a gathering. Jesus tells us, A certain man sent a servant to invite many people to a great banquet. Now the saints of our church tell us that this certain man, the householder, is God the Father, and he is sending the servant Jesus. And the great banquet? Well, St. Cyril tells us, The creator of the universe and the father of glory made a great supper, a festival for the whole world in honor of Christ. So when we enter the divine liturgy, we are in fact entering this banquet. Christ gave himself at the mystical supper. His broken body, his blood, it was given to us and without limit. So when we leave the divine liturgy, It does not end because St. Paul says Christ is all and in all, not just in heaven, but on earth. This is divine and perfect love and it's offered to all of us. Now, can you imagine? In this gospel reading, we have the perfect organizer sending the perfect servant with a perfect invitation to the perfect banquet. And the RSVP came back saying, no thanks. I bought a piece of land, please excuse me. I bought some ox, please excuse me. I just got married. Not even a excuse me. My investments, my career, my family, my life. Not only did the invitees not sit in their seats, they didn't even enter the great hall. So great was the concern for their earthly love and joy. They were misguided by the priorities. 
And it's tempting of us to judge their examples. But instead, we have to turn to ourselves and ask, how often are we tempted by the love of earthly things? So our Christmas celebrations will start just like on Christmas Day. But like all earthly things, that joy has to end. But here at this banquet, Christ is inviting us to an everlasting table. O brothers and sisters, what a banquet that is, says St. Athanasius. How great is the harmony and joy of those who eat at this heavenly table. They enjoy food that produces everlasting life. Not that ordinary food which passes right on through the body, he continues. Let's pause and reflect here. How much is our daily concerns keeping us from the glorious banquet of love? How much do we ignore the living water of the Holy Spirit that quenches our emptiness and instead we seek to satisfy our earthly hunger, our thirst, our work, the people in our lives? Now as humans, we can easily fall in the trap of only seeing ourselves. So this Sunday's gospel is there to remind us. And it's paired with an important instruction from St. Paul's epistle. He's saying he desires us to redirect that misplaced love. He says, quote, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Did you hear that? What is earthly is idolatry. When we love the earthly, the things of this earth, we are worshipping ourselves. This is why the invitees did not respond to the banquet of Christ. They could only worship themselves and see themselves. They weren't able to look up from their own lives and see Christ's hand, the invitation waiting to take their concerns. Brothers and sisters, don't ignore this warning. St. Paul goes on to advise in his epistle, on account of self-centered love, quote, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, end quote. Lord have mercy. The consequences for those who fail to hear the invitation and respond in the affirmative and to prepare for the banquet accordingly by correcting their priorities, the result is the wrath of God. Didn't we hear the same anger in the gospel? When the invitees made excuses and ignored the householder, when we ignore God's love, he will respond with anger. Don't be confused though, it's not a human anger, but God will provide a divine response. And if we don't respond with obedience and humility, St. Paul says, we then become a child of disobedience. The result is this, we lose our place in the feast of heavenly good things and instead we take a place of earthly glory and approval. We ignore the fullness of the joy of God and instead we opt for the light, barely satisfying version so that we can enjoy the earthly good things temporarily. We give up the most satisfying but we remain insatiable and we lose the glorious mercy of God and instead, we seek the earthly assurance and comfort. In his rightful divine anger, 
Our Father tells us He will ensure that the places that were given to us in His divine love, they will be filled by those who are already humbled, those who need His mercy. We are not okay in this state, and this is perhaps most frightening, that the devil has convinced us that we are okay somehow, not being in the presence of God's love. Jesus Christ, the King of glory himself, in response to the devil that tempted him, said, quote, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. End quote. When did we forget this? When did we allow the devil to lead us to become a child of disobedience and to seek the earthly over the heavenly? We are not okay without him. We are not okay without the love of God. So now is the time to really test our love. Is it bound on earth or is it inspired from on high? During this Christmas lead up, are we fasting more strictly or are we eating more? It's not too late to increase in our self-emptying. Fast from now. Are we concerned about who we're going to invite or whether we have been invited to a certain celebration? Let's put that aside. Instead, let's focus on the invitation to be with Christ through his divine scriptures, in the divine services, and in a life of worship. Are we concerned in honoring our families with gifts and novelties? Or are we more concerned with the welfare of those who have already been humbled? It's not too late to commit ourselves to being more charitable, spending less on novelties and lavishness. Let's offer a portion of our funds. Find something and give charitably today. Are we attending more church services? Or are we tempted instead by the prospect of the beautiful sky and the shining sun? It's not too late to increase in our longing to be with the Son of Heaven. Let's pray to Him now and say, Lord, Son of God, have mercy on me. Teach me to seek You alone. Or perhaps, are we worried about sprinkling our homes with decorations and lights? Or are we more concerned about sprinkling the salt of mercy and the Word of God? It's not too late to learn about a Bible prophecy for Christmas or a chant and to share these with our families. Let's close the social media apps now and open up our Bible. We should learn to hear the invitation of God in all things. When we do that, we can teach and we can recognize the invitation from God. May the lover of mankind, Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us. May he teach us to hear his word and keep it, so that we too may join in the heavenly banquet, sharing in his eternal joy, which does not end. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Thank you, Father, for that insightful message. I certainly took a lot away from that, and I'm sure our listeners did too. And now a series of readings from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our Holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. Love alone harmoniously joins all created things with God and with each other. St. Thalassios the Libyan When images of some sensual pleasure arise in you, watch yourself, 
so as not to be carried away by it. Pause a little, think about death, and reflect how much better it is consciously to overcome this illusory pleasure. St. Anthony the Great None of the painful things that happen to us every day will endure or distress us once we perceive and continually meditate on their purpose. It is on account of this that St. Paul says, I take delight in weakness, insults and hardships, and all who seek to live a holy life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. To him be glory through all ages. Amen. St. Philippios of Sinai The Synaxarion. On December 11, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate our venerable fathers Daniel the Stylite and Luke the New Stylite of Chalcedon. On this day, we celebrate the Sunday of the Holy Forefathers of our Lord Jesus. Receive joy, O forefathers, which lived aforetime, and now ye behold at hand Christ the Messiah. Be glad, O Abraham, for thou art shown to be the forefather of Christ. We remember all the holy patriarchs of the Old Testament who prefigured or foretold Christ. Adam, the first father, Enoch, Melchizedek, Abraham, the friend of God, Isaac, the fruit of the promise, Jacob and the twelve patriarchs. We then commemorate those who lived under the law. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Samuel, David, and the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the twelve minor prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Zechariah, and John the Baptist, and finally the Virgin Mary, the intermediary between mankind and her divine Son. Indeed, the Lord Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to redeem humanity which bemoaned the weight of evil since Adam to realize the promise made to Abraham, to change the law of fee into the law of love, and to give resurrection and life to mankind. This feast prepares us for the nativity of Jesus Christ, placing before us the anticipation and hope for his coming among us. By the intercessions of thy saints, O God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Did you know that the Gospels are some of the most reliable ancient historical sources?
While skeptics often dismiss the Gospels as fantasy, historians largely agree that the Gospel accounts are some of the most reliable ancient historical sources. While it is true that the authors of the Gospels had theological motive, it's important to remember that every author, ancient or modern, has a perspective, bias and purpose for writing. This does not eliminate their writings as credible sources of historical information. We can confidently say that there is ample evidence to show that Christ really did live in first century Judea, that he preached, performed extraordinary works, was crucified and that his followers really did preach that he had risen from the dead shortly thereafter. Firstly, most ancient texts which inform us of important historical figures such as Alexander the Great were composed hundreds of years after the famous figure was said to have lived. However, the Gospels were written between 70 and 90 AD. While this may seem late by historical standards, the Gospels are considered very early primary sources, as they were written within the time frame of first-hand witnesses to the events of Christ's life. This is significant because it means that the Gospels are less likely to contain embellishments and fictitious details. It's a lot harder to get away with fabrications and exaggerations if there are many witnesses to the events that are still alive while the text is being circulated. Another reason to support the credibility of the Gospels is that there are multiple witness accounts. We have four independently written first-generation witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all providing multiple sources for the corroboration of these events. These authors were not only alive during Christ's life but participated in many of the events described in their accounts. Not only that, but the Gospel accounts also contain several incidents which may be considered embarrassing for the authors and the early church. Such details could have been easily left out to seemingly improve the credibility of the Christian cause, yet they were not, meaning that they really did happen. This is called the criterion of embarrassment. For example, one of Christ's closest disciples and an important teacher of the early church, Peter, not only abandoned his master at his time of need, but also denied knowing him three times. Another example is that the first witnesses to the resurrection of Christ were women. In first century Judea, the witness of women was considered not to be reliable. Perhaps that best example of the criterion of embarrassment is the fact that the Gospels claim that the Messiah was not only killed, but died in the most degrading way at the hands of the Romans. As a Roman orator, Caesario, once said, Crucifixion is the cruelest and most disgusting penalty, an extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves. Why would the Gospel authors boast that their God was crucified? Wouldn't it have been easier to gloss over or hide the terrible way their God had suffered and died? Finally, the Gospels are also consistent with other ancient writings from the Jewish, Greek and Roman traditions. There are multiple other sources from antiquity which confirm several details from Jesus' early life and teachings. Orthodox biblical scholar Dr. Eugenia Constantinou encourages us to consider, do the Gospels accurately reflect first century Palestine? Do the people, lifestyle, customs, practices, attitudes, geographical locations, religious beliefs and historical figures mentioned in the Gospels match? What we need to know from other historical sources about those times? places and persons? The answer is yes, they do. And there is ample historical evidence of this. As Orthodox Christians, we believe that the Gospels are the divinely inspired Word of God and not simply historical documents. Nevertheless, the historicity of these texts is an important element. 
the Gospels confirm that the Logos became flesh, dwelt among us, was crucified and rose, all for the sake of our salvation. Let us therefore always be thankful that God saw it fit to preserve the Gospels in the Church for our edification and salvation, and not only that, but to also heed the words of St. John Chrysostom, who urges us to read the Scriptures. I also always entreat you, and do not cease entreating you, not only to pay attention here to what I say, but also when you are at home, to persevere continually in reading the Divine Scriptures. And now a reading from Wounded by Love, The Life and the Wisdom of St. Porphyrios. St. Porphyrios, a Greek monk and priest who died in 1991, was formally glorified as a saint by the Holy Synod of the Ecumenical Patriarchate in November 2013. He stands in the long tradition of charismatic spiritual guides in the Eastern Church, which continues from the Apostolic Age down to figures such as Saint Seraphim of Sarov and Staret Siluan in modern times. In this book, he tells the story of his life, and in simple, deeply reflected and profoundly wise words, he expounds the Christian faith for today. With silence, tolerance and prayer, we benefit others in a mystical way. When we see that the people around us have no love for God, we are distressed. But with our distress, we achieve nothing at all, nor do we achieve anything by trying to persuade them to change their ways. That's not right either. There is a secret, however, and if we understand it, we will be able to help it. The secret is our prayer and our devotion to God so that his grace may act. We, with our love, with our fervent desire for the love of God, will attract grace so that it washes over those around us and awakens them to divine love. Or rather, God will send his love and will rouse them all. What we are unable to do, his grace will achieve. With our prayers, we will make all worthy of God's love. And you should be aware of something else. Souls that have known pain and suffering and that are tormented by their passions win most especially the love and grace of God. It is souls such as these that become saints, and very often we pass judgment on them. Remember what St. Paul says, where sin abounded, grace flowed even more abundantly. When you remember this, you will feel that these people are more worthy than you and than me. We seek them as weak, but when they open themselves to God, they become all love and all divine eros. Whereas previously they had acquired different habits, they now give all the power of their soul to Christ and are set on fire by Christ's love. That is how God's miracle works in such souls, which we regard as lost. We shouldn't be discouraged, nor should we rush to conclusions, nor judge on the basis of superficial and external things. If, for example, you see a woman immodestly dressed, don't have regard only for her outward appearance, but look more deeply into her soul. She may be a very good soul with an existential restlessness, which she expresses through her shocking appearance. She has a dynamism within her, the power of self-projection she wishes to attract the eyes of others. But through lack of awareness, she has distorted things. Think what would happen if she were to come to know Christ. She would believe and she would turn all her passion towards Christ. She would do everything to attract the grace of God. 
she would become a saint. It is a kind of self-projection of our own when we insist on other people becoming good. In reality, we wish to become good, but because we are unable to, we demand it of others and insist on this. And whereas all things are corrected through prayer, we often are distressed or become outraged and pass judgment on others. Often through our anxieties and fears and our poor psychological state, without intending to and without being aware of it, we do harm to another person, even if we love him very much. As for example, a mother loves her child. The mother transmits to the child all her anxiety about its life, about its health and about its progress, even if she doesn't speak to the child and even if she doesn't express what she has inside her. This love, this natural love that is, can on occasion be harmful. This is not true, however, of the love of Christ that is combined with prayer and holiness of life. This love makes a person holy. It brings him peace because God is love. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and don't forget to share with your friends and family. We hope you have a blessed day and catch you all next week.